Good morning, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to UIW. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study coming to you live from St. Francisville. Thank you so much for joining us. And I uh, wanted to give one announcement before I get into the class material today. Uh, just a reminder that tomorrow uh, morning at 9.30 a.m. Central Time, 10.30 Eastern, I guess I could go through all the global time zones, but you get it, 9.30 Central Time uh, is the 78th annual meeting, business meeting of United Israel World Union. We have held these for many years since my involvement, at least since uh, 2000, uh, face-to-face. But the last couple of years, because of concerns primarily around COVID, uh, we've not had a face-to-face. So this one will be a Zoom meeting. And if you would like to attend that, our friends and supporters of United Israel you're welcome to do so. And if you didn't already receive the information uh, that Dr. Tabor sent out, you can email me at rosskaynichols at me.com, and I'll send you that information. So, uh, But tomorrow, the 78th annual business meeting of uh, United Israel World Union. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about not only our our past, our history, and all the things that United Israel has accomplished over the years, but I'm really excited when I look forward and I think about what's in front of us. So if you would like to attend that again, just email me and I'll make sure I get you the link. I have responded, I think, to all of those emails that have come in over the last week, and there were a few, and and I tried to send out a bulletin, uh, our United Israel bulletin, special bulletin, with that announcement as well. So uh, hopefully, anyone who wants to be there can be there. Uh, again, a special thanks to all of those listeners and viewers for your continued interest in and support of United Israel. We are in the midst of a study. Uh, for the past several weeks, I have shared a special teaching, what I would call a sub-study within the larger study of the prophets And I have focused for the previous five classes on the servant in Isaiah, the servant in Isaiah. And and I've done this by way of an exegesis of a very careful, uh, critical analysis of a section of Isaiah known as uh, Deutero-Isaiah or 2nd Isaiah, primarily chapters 40 through 66 have been the bulk of the material from which I pull the information necessary to teach this class on the servant in Isaiah. And I'm, again, particularly interested in this greater section of Deutero-Isaiah in everything that we can learn on the servant as described in 2nd Isaiah. So I'm looking in these chapters, chapter 40 through 66, just pulling out that relevant information, and uh, it's received quite a bit of feedback, most of it positive, although I'll touch on one element that I received a little bit of uh, negative feedback, and I think that's primarily because my solution didn't align with this other person's, which is going to happen. You know, uh, I I once read somewhere where someone said, beware when all men speak well of you. So every once in a while, 
uh, I, I actually do enjoy constructive feedback, and particularly that when someone says, you know, I don't see it that way. You, maybe you missed something, and that could be the case. Uh, most of the times when my own understanding has been improved, it's because someone points something out to me that I didn't see before. So keep those coming. I don't need uh, a lot of positive affirmation in my life. In, in other words, I don't need people to, to tell me, good job, good job, that's exactly right. Although, you know, everyone likes positive feedback. But I also want someone to respectfully say, hey, um, I, I don't see it that way. So, so don't be discouraged. If you don't see it the way that I see it, you just need to study more. I'm joking. All right. So many uh, have long noted, though, that this particular section, uh, those texts which talk of the servant have been a reason for debate. There have been differences of opinion, uh, very much so theologically oriented where people uh, they they latch on to their particular view, and, and that view is the only view that they can see. And what we want to do is we want to look at these texts very carefully, uh, and we want to see what it is that is intended to be seen. What do these texts paint for us in terms of a picture, particularly when we get into these servant songs as to the identity of the servant? Now, this series, by the way, as you'll see by the time we get to the end today, this series is setting us up for uh, another study that's still part of the prophet series, and it's going to take this idea of servant even further. And I, uh, John Langberg gave a suggestion this week. We were uh, having a nice, friendly conversation over coffee, and he brought something up, and, and uh, it, it really kind of... It hit me, and I said, you know, that's a good idea, John. So, so not this week. You don't get credit for this one. Next week's class, we'll see if we can pat you on the back a little bit. Uh, we did cover over the last five weeks in some detail, uh, in, in fact, I think in a lot of detail, the text or the pericopes, as we call them, within Deutero-Isaiah that deal with or describe the servant uh, primarily by focusing on what academic, uh, the academic community calls the servant songs. And these are four poems or songs that are found in Isaiah, uh, or at least this is the way it was described by Bernhard Doom in 1892 in a German work, the translation of which is uh, the book of Isaiah. These four songs, these four servant songs were the beginning, sort of the, the, the bedrock, the foundation of our study. These servant songs, as you know, uh, it comes from Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 4, chapter 49, verse 1 through 6, chapter 50, verse 4 through 7, and then chapter 52, 13 through 53, 12. These four songs identified by Bernhard Doom, really get into the career, if you will, of the servant within Isaiah. Some of these songs uh, describe the servant. Some of these songs are the servant first person speaking, talking. 
And, uh, and so they begin to open up a window where we can start to see ever so slightly uh, who this servant is that is being spoken of. And I have uh, shown, though, I think fairly convincingly, at least this part, that these four, these four pericopes only begin to explore the vast amount of material within Second Isaiah that describes the servants. In other words, if you read these four, you'll get part of the picture. But it doesn't cover it all. In order to grasp it, in order to fully understand, uh, particularly if you're looking to identify who this servant is, you have to go much beyond these four songs. You have to really dig deeply. And there are other texts outside of Isaiah and outside of 2nd Isaiah that, that are instructive for us who are seeking to identify the servant. But we've, we've really tried to focus here. But within Deutero-Isaiah, between chapters 40 to 66, there are 20 references to the servant, which we've tried to go through most of these. And these 20 references appear over, if you spread them out, they're in 10 chapters in Isaiah. This is my recap so that you're on the same page with me today as we begin to move forward. So if you begin in chapter 41, you read 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, and you skip, and you read 48, 49, and 50, then you read 52 and 53, that gives you most of it. Now, I want to focus there because I know that some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, Isaiah 65 verses 8 and 9 and 65 verses 11 through 13 also mention servant. Well, there's a reason that I've held those back. Uh, but my point being that if you study those 10 chapters I just gave you and you really begin to know the material, take it in, take it into your head, through your eyes, through your ears, and then get it on the inside then you can begin to understand. I often describe to people the way I want you to study the Bible, if, if you're interested, is I want you to enter into the, de- the document. I want you to picture yourself standing in the pages, looking around at all the details that are there. Because a lot of people super, uh, superficially read the text, and they spend more time in commentaries or footnotes than they do in the text themselves. Get in the text, Get particularly get in these texts, because I think that's where you're really going to make some progress in understanding not only this subject, but any subject uh, that you set your mind to. So aside from those main texts which I mentioned, there are other texts other than in those 10 chapters which uh, are associated with our study on servant either through words or phrases, you know, that may line up with this aspect of the servant's description, and they may not particularly mention uh, the servant, but nonetheless, you, you, you can still gain important data points uh, by reading it. So what am I saying? If you really want to understand this and the redemptive scenarios of the Hebrew Bible, You'll begin in chapter 40 and verse 1, and you'll begin to read. 
Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, and you'll work your way all the way through to chapter 66 to the very end, taking careful notes, words, phrases, make columns, make charts. This is the way you study this. But when we talk about the identity, and the reason I'm coming back to this this week uh, is because of some of the challenges uh, that I receive. So don't think that I don't read these. I do. Uh, but some of the challenges indicated to me that uh, some, uh, particularly a couple of individuals, still see it differently. And my job is not to convince you, okay, I'll just keep doing it until everybody's seeing it the way I'm seeing it. But it indicates to me that I might not have clarified a couple of points. If I really believe that I understand this subject matter, and someone says, that's not the way I see it, then I can respectfully say, which is what I'm going to do today, ah, but what about this? Because I realize that I have formulated my idea based upon uh, quite a bit of data. And it, it helps me when I get negative feedback because then I can say, maybe I missed something here. No less than, no less than seven times in Isaiah 40 through 66, no less than seven times, Israel or Jacob is the name associated with the servant. That's a fact. In other words, you read a passage that deals with the servant and it's going to say, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my servant, my servant is Jacob, my servant is Israel. Very clear, no ambiguity, no questions about those seven references. And there are other passages which deal with the servant, even where the servant is not specifically named, where the language in the unnamed text matches the language in a text which in which Israel is named as the servant. Does that make sense? So you read a passage, and it may not say Israel or Jacob is my servant, but it uses language that perfectly matches with another text which does say Israel or Jacob. So you have to, I guess one of the main things that I want to say going into this is in my humble opinion, I would ask you to begin where it's clear. Right? So, so you, can, you can read texts which are not so clear, but you begin with these seven as foundational. Go through. You can check them off. Israel's my servant. Jacob is my servant. Check, check, check. And you just begin to write. I'm trying to identify the servant. So where it's clear. Now, does that preclude the fact that you have seven that references that clearly say it's Israel and Jacob? Does that preclude that another can't be the servant? And the answer to that is no. There could be another servant. So this is where we're going to really begin uh, to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, so with, within these texts, we get hints. We get strong hints, indications. Let's, let's go beyond the word hint. Let's say textual uh, indications that within the greater servant Israel, there is a servant, a servant within the servant is the way I like to call it. Now, from that point, we have to ask other questions. 
and uh, we'll get into that. But I want to start this morning as I take this a little bit further. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Now, the goal is that you'll, you'll have all these texts memorized by the time we move on. And I want to start uh, in verse 5, Isaiah 49 and verse 5. <clears throat> now, by the way, this is one of those texts which was identified uh, by Bernhard Doom. <coughs> excuse me, in, in his 1892 book on the book of Isaiah. And he, he, it's 49 verses 1 through 6, but I want to focus on 5 and 6. All right, so it says, And now, says Jehovah, that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring back Jacob to him, that Israel should be gathered to him. And I was honored in the eyes of Jehovah, and my God was my strength. And he said, Is it too slight a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I also will give thee for a light to the nations, that my salvation may be to the end of the earth. Now, in context, I want you to understand that the servant is speaking here. Please recognize that. Uh, the servant is speaking. Look back at, at verse uh, 3. Uh, and he said unto me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And I said, I've labored in vain, and so forth and so on. So two, two key points. The servant is speaking, and the servant self-identifies as Israel. So for someone to suggest, this is just one example. I'm going to make an obvious point. For someone to suggest that this is not Israel is taking liberties with the text, and, and it's, that's a nice way of putting it. You, you follow what I'm saying? Israel's identified as a servant. Israel is speaking. But in verse 5 and 6, the interesting thing that I notice here is that Israel, clearly speaking, is it's the servant's task to bring back and to restore Jacob Israel. So you go, so what this means at face value is that a group within Israel, the servant Israel, the larger group, a group within that group. You don't have to look outside the circle. In fact, don't, because it's inside the circle. This is a special group within the larger group, thus a servant within a servant. Now, the question becomes, is this an individual or a group? And this is where the difficulties come in. This is where the disagreements come in. This is where the debate starts. Is it an individual or is it a group? Okay? Both of these solutions have been proposed. Some have said this is an individual that's speaking here. Yes, part of Israel but a messianic figure is the way that most people typically phrase that. 
a Messiah, uh, who is whose job it is to bring back Israel. Now, what I think I'm going to present today, be ready, because I think that this solves the question. Now, last week, I put forward the basics of the theory that I have come to from studying, uh, but I'm going to get a little bit more. I'm going to focus tighter. I'm going to bring it in a little bit clearer for us. So last week, I focused, uh, I proposed that the servant who is Israel, uh, but whose task it is to bring back the tribes of Israel, is a group and not a specific individual, I think is the way I put it. So I see this as a group, a remnant, if you will, a, a very holy, righteous group within uh, the larger group. And I did this even after reading through Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, which is one of the most difficult passages uh, to read through and still come away with the idea that it's a group. And why is that? Part of the reason that it's difficult to see a group there, and this is one of the things that the person who wrote to me, I think, is, is kind of looking at, is that 53 times in the text, from 52.13 to 53.12, please go count them, 53 times we use, we encounter the masculine singular pronoun, he, him, over and over, he, him, over and over. You see it every single line almost. And evidently, because of that, it caused one particular listener or viewer to tell me that after listening to last week's class, and I'm not picking, uh, that this person said that they were sad and honestly, hugely disappointed that I'd come to the conclusion that I did. Now, the only reason that a person would say that is if they're strongly convinced that I was wrong. And that could be the case. Certainly wouldn't be the first time. So how can I, as this person put it, who normally has a pretty tight case, how could I simply miss what everyone else is seeing? It's a good question, because if others are seeing this, maybe it is that I just don't see it. Proposed candidates for an individual here, particularly Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Get this, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, all of these, and there are others, let me ask you something. What do all of these have in common? Now, some might say, well, I'm not a Christian, so I'm going to leave Jesus off the list. Do, do how you will. Look at all of these singular individuals who have been associated with the suffering servant, and you tell me what do they have in common? Do they have a certain role, maybe? Are they all bakers? 
Are they all, what's the word that captures the identity of all of these? Now, now get ready. Um, Because I want to show people what it is that I see here that allows me to maintain the belief, even after reading 53 singular masculine pronouns, to see a group, a very specific group. So the question becomes, can I be more specific? In other words, if you go, well, all right, Ross, you just say it's a group within the group. I mean, that's kind of vague. What if I can take that a little bit closer for us? What if I can say, well, okay, I I get your point. I take your challenge. I accept uh, the critique. Now let me be more specific, shall we? What group could be meant? Is there a group that is defined biblically as a servant uh, with, and then <clears throat> more specifically, is there another group, a servant group, whose task it is to raise up the tribes, to bring Israel back, to restore Israel? You know, Isaiah 53, even though it utilizes the singular masculine pronoun over and over and over, talks about their deaths in the plural. So the Bible sometimes uses a picture, particularly in prophetic literature, where you would look at it and say that's a singular figure. And it really is using language in a way to paint a picture, but it intends something else. Now, I don't use a whim. I don't just say, well, I think this says singular, but it's plural. I'm very textual. I am critical in the text. I'm conservative. I'm not liberal. I don't take liberties with the text. So how do I do that? I'll give you an example, and I've used this before. Daniel chapter 7 Verse 13 and following, And I beheld in the night one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, presented himself to the Ancient of Days who sitted at the throne. Now, everybody, not everybody, Jewish, Christian interpreters look at this and they say, this is the Messiah. He's coming on the clouds. The scrolls do it. The New Testament does it. The Talmud does it. But if you read Daniel 7... The interpretation is given. Yes, it's described as one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds. But if you read it in context, it's the group. It's a group and not a singular individual. So it is here. What we'll do is we'll get more specific. Now, I must ask, um, is there clear evidence because the people who listen in on Saturday morning to United Israel are not new. They hadn't just got here. They didn't just open their Bible today. You are talented exegetes. You are strong students in scripture. So whatever evidence I have to bring forward to the identity, specific identity of this group within the group It's got to be good. 
It has to be tight. I was challenged last week for good reason. I did not fully make my point. We'll see if that changes today, and it may not. So I'm going to give you a few examples of a group that I think fits the bill for the servant within the servant, particularly a group. It has to be a group whose job it is to bring back Israel. It particularly has to be a group who has been uh, mistreated, abused, despised, rejected, not listened to. I mean, what group fits that? Let's look. Go with me. We're going to go through quite a few texts because I need to make a point here. Second Kings chapter 9. And I want to begin in verse 6. Second uh, Kings uh, 9 and verse 6. <clears throat> now, you're not going to get the whole story because I'm just reading verses and not necessarily the whole context. And he arose... And went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and he said to him, Thus says Adonai Jehovah, uh, or Jehovah Elohei Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of Jehovah, over Israel, and you shall smite the house of Ahav, or Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets. This is the phrase I want to focus on. Uh, the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of Jehovah at the hand of Itzavel. Everybody knows the wicked Jezebel, right? So what this is, is there is a person who's being appointed to avenge the blood of God's servants. Now look at Second Kings 17 and verse 13. 17 and 13. Um, You shall not do this thing. Then Jehovah testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the Torah which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. And it goes on, but they would not listen. They wouldn't hear and so forth. My servants, the prophets. Look at 2 Kings 17, verse 22. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Yorvam, which he did. They departed not from them until Jehovah removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria, sure to this day. Servants to prophets. Second Kings 21. I want to try to demonstrate that there is a group, and we're going to go through and identify that group without any ambiguity. Second Kings 21, verse 8. Neither... Uh, let's see, neither will I make the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the Torah that my servant Moses commanded them, but they hearken not. And Manasseh seduced them uh, to do more evil than did the nations whom Jehovah destroyed before the children of Israel. And Jehovah spoke by... His servants, the prophets, saying, 
because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, has done wickedly above all that the Emori, uh, the Amorites, did, which were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Second Kings 24. I want to make this clear. Second Kings 24 and verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years, and he turned and rebelled against him. And Jehovah sent against him bands of Kastim, the bands of Aram, the bands of Moab, the bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of Jehovah, which he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah 7. And I want to begin in 21. Thus says Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers nor command them in the day that I let them, brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, obey my voice and I'll be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all my ways that I've commanded you that it may be well with you. But they did not hearken nor incline the ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them from morning until night. Yet they did not hearken to me nor incline the ear, but stiffened their neck, etc., etc. Chapter 25 of Jeremiah. We're establishing that there is a group within the group that suffers. Jeremiah 25, beginning in verse 3. From the 13th year of Yoshiahu, Josiah, the king, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, and until this day, these 23 years, the word of Jehovah has come to me, and I have spoken to you from morning till night, but you've not hearkened. And Jehovah has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, sending them from morning till night. But you've not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, turn back now, everyone, from his evil way and from the evil of your doings and dwell in the land that Jehovah has given to you and your fathers forever and ever and don't go after other gods and so forth. But they didn't listen, see. Chapter 26, Jeremiah 26. In the beginning... Of the year, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, son of king of Judah, came this word from Jehovah, saying, Thus says Jehovah, Stand in the court of Jehovah's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in Jehovah's house, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Leave nothing out. Perhaps they will listen and turn every man from his evil way that I may relent of all the evil which I propose to do them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, Thus says Jehovah, If you will not hearken to me to walk in my Torah, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you, sending them from morning to night, but you've not hearkened, then I'll make this house like Shiloh. Chapter 29. I want you to have these in your notes. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 17. Thus says Jehovah of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten, they're so bad. And I'll persecute them with the sword, the famine, pestilence, 
and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse and an astonishment and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them because they have not hearkened to my word, says Jehovah, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, sending them from morning till night. But you would not hear, says Jehovah. Hear, therefore, the word of Jehovah, all of you, the captivity, etc. Chapter 35, Jeremiah 35. Talking about a group within the group that's been despised, rejected. Chapter 35, verse 12. Then came the word of Jehovah to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to hearken to my words, says Jehovah? The words of Yonadab, the son of Rechav, uh, that he commanded his sons to not drink wine, has been kept, for to this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Yet I have spoken to you from morning till night, but you did not hearken to me. I've also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them from morning to night, saying, return now, every man from his evil way and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. Then you shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. See, the whole over and over and over. Uh, Jeremiah 44, chapter 2, uh, chapter 44, verse 2 through 6. I'm going to skip over a couple of these, but I want to read a couple more. Go to Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. Just put 44, 2 through 6 in your notes. Chapter 3. In uh, verse 7 is where I want to really pick up. Surely... Verse 7, Adonai Jehovah will do nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, a lot of people kind of misquote that. They say God doesn't do anything unless he reveals his secret to his prophets. His servants, the prophets, this precise phrase over and over. Go to Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1. And beginning in verse 1, what's the role of this group within the group? Uh, This is, uh, let's start with verse 2. Jehovah has been, chapter 1, Jehovah has been much displeased with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says Jehovah of hosts, turn to me, says Jehovah of hosts, and I'll return to you, says Jehovah of hosts. Be not like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried, saying, Thus says Jehovah of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways, from your evil doings, but they did not hear or hearken to me, says Jehovah. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers so that they repented and said, as Jehovah of hosts intended to do to us according to our ways, according to our doings, so has he dealt with us? Daniel chapter 9 is one final one that I want to read. This is part of a prayer of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. 
and it begins in verse 3. And I set my face to Jehovah to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to Jehovah my God and made my confession and said, O Jehovah, the great and dreadful God, keeping covenant and truth, actually it's chesed, loving kindness, to those who love him, to those who keep his commandments, we've sinned, committed iniquity, we've done wickedly and have rebelled, have turned aside from your precepts, from your judgments, for we have not hearkened to your servants, the prophets. This group, this group is a group within the group. By the way, Daniel chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, I'm going to give you these last two. And Ezra chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, also have this phrase, servant, servant, my, my prophets, the servants. Israel is the servant. And one group within Israel is called servant. My servants, plural, the prophets. The question becomes, is this group, do they somehow perhaps fit the bill? We've got the plural deaths. We know that Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 is talking about more than one. Now, the question becomes, does every clue have to match one person? They do not. I know there are people who claim they do. They do not. There are some who match more closely than others. But as you work through on the suffering servant and you realize that we're looking for a plural group that has a task to bring Israel back, to restore Israel... I propose that it is the prophets, my servants, the prophets. They are Israel. They are within Israel. They have the task of bringing back and restoring Israel. Their message is not accepted. The prophets have borne the burden of Jehovah, despised, rejected, and the suffering servant of Isaiah seems to describe one who dies. Did the prophets die? Go with me to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah. Chapter 9, verse 26. <clears throat> Nehemiah nine twenty six. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your Torah behind their backs and slew thy prophets who forewarned them to turn them to thee. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you did deliver them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them, etc. It goes on and on. The prophets, my servants, the prophets, God sends his servants, the prophets, to his people 
to raise them up and provide them with his teaching. How many of the passages that we read in the past few weeks about the servant, about how they have the Torah with them. They'll bring the aisles, wait for the Torah. And so this group is bringing the Torah. And they're not accepted. They kill them. They abuse them. They bind them up. They lock them up. They ridicule them. They beat them. They spit on them. They pull out the hair. And they slay them. Now, who wants to raise their hand to be a prophet? It's not a popular job. It wasn't then anyway. This phrase in Hebrew, it's where it says that they slayed them. In Hebrew, it's hargu. Hargu. They slayed. This phrase used by Nehemiah is exactly the phrase. That's used by Elijah. Go with me to 1 Kings 19. In other words, I'm telling you, this is where Nehemiah is getting this. 1 Kings 19. How do I know that? Because it's the only place it says it in the Bible. Based on the words in connection with the words. 1 Kings 19, 10. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for Adonai, Jehovah of hosts. Uh, let me look at something here. He said, yep, okay. Um, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Look at verse 14. He's asked again, what are you doing here? And uh, behold, a voice, behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Eliyahu? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, if you read 1 Kings 18... 1 Kings 18, we get the story of Jezebel, the infamous wicked wife of Ahab, who to me comes across as weak and mealy mouth. Uh, His wife just pushes him around, and, and she's wicked as hell. And she's killing the prophets. This is what it's talking about. And Elijah, uh, he's, he's fled. But when Nehemiah talks about they killed your prophets. He's specifically referring to this episode, and you say, well, otherwise the children of Israel were very obedient to the voice of the prophets. And I would say, have you even read the Bible? It's not the case. The message has been, and the messengers have been rejected and despised and ridiculed and oppressed and locked up, beaten and killed. The message is not welcome. Now, part of that is it's in your face. God's telling these prophets, go stand in the temple and say this, you know. Now, this is not the only time 
that this happens, uh, this story of Elijah and Jezebel. Look at Second Chronicles with me, 24. Second Chronicles 24. Second Chronicles 24, verse 20. And it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of Jehovah, though you cannot succeed? Because you have forsaken Jehovah, he also has forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of Jehovah. And thus Joash, the king, did not remember the faithful love which Jehoiada, his father, had shown him, but he slew his son. And when he died, he said, May Jehovah see and revenge. A prophet stands up to cause Israel to be restored and he stands up in the temple and they all whispered and said, let's kill him. It's a prophet. The leaders, the message was not welcome. Then, and listen to me, it wouldn't be now. People say, well, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, we probably would too. Probably would too. The prophet is in a position where they can't hardly relate to the people because they're inspirited with the spirit and the message that they contain is one of holiness, high holiness, and it's stretching the people and telling them this is the standard. They can't, they're in between in a way, the people and the God. Look, religious and political leaders hated the prophet. They were beaten, bound, abused, despised, rejected. Listen to Jeremiah's description. Listen to this. Go to Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15. Uh, Verse 15. O Jehovah, you know. Remember me. Be mindful of me. Revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in your long suffering. Know that for your sake I have suffered insult. Your words were found, and I did eat them. Remember when the words were found in the days of Josiah? And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Jehovah, God of hosts. I set not in the assembly of the merrymakers, nor rejoice. I set alone because of your hand. For you filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful stream, like waters that fail? He's telling God, I have no friends because of you. I can't go out and have fun. I'm filled with indignation. 
He lays his case out. He, he's like, I was so thirsty, and I went to get a drink from the brook, and it was dry. He's talking about God. It's how close he is. And listen to what God tells him. Therefore, thus says Jehovah, if you return, like you're off in a pity party now, but if you return, then I'll bring you back, and you shall stand before me. And if you bring out the precious, the rare, from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but return not you to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of brass. They're going to fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, says Jehovah. And I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and will redeem you out of the hand of the terrible. Chapter 16, Jeremiah is told, you can't take a wife and have kids. You know, people often talk about, I've, I've read counter-missionary groups, you know, and I'm not a Christian, but I've read counter-missionary groups say, Jesus can't be the Messiah because he's got to be married, and all Jewish men are married by the age of 30, it says in the Talmud, and yeah, well, it didn't say so in Jeremiah. Jeremiah couldn't be married. Look at Isaiah, and Hosea, by the way, speaking of marriage, Hosea had to marry a harlot. You know, and that was his, you go marry this woman, and uh, I'm going to teach you, Hosea, what it feels like to be me with an unfaithful wife. Isaiah had to walk around naked for three years. Ezekiel had to lie on one side for a certain number of days, hundreds, eat, you know, this bread. He had to lay on the other side. Ezekiel was told, listen, you know what the people say? They say, oh, I want to, hey, let's go listen to the prophet. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, in uh, um, Ezekiel, it says, let's go listen to the prophet. His words are like the words of a song. And then God says, they like listening to you, but they're not going to do what you say. It's like people logging in to watch a um, uh, a popular streaming show. You know, they like listening to it, but... Doesn't affect them. So how would you like to be the one who is told you have a message to give and nobody's going to accept it? Oh, and by the way, they might beat you and put you in jail, abuse you, rip your beard out, and kill you. But you still got to do it. And this isn't just one. It's a template. If you take your average prophet and you plug them into the template, you, if you lined up all the prophets, if we could interview them and say, do you have an easy life? Tell me what it was like from the time that Jehovah called you, just in a word. What do you think they would say? Fun? Happy? No. Look at Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 8, 
Now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the Torah of the Lord, who say to the seers, see not, and to the prophesy, prophesy not to us right things. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy delusions. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Sound like a receptive audience to you? This isn't anti-Semitic. These prophets, when they when they they are Israel. When Isaiah says that you're the brood of vipers, basically, that language is not because he's a Greco-Roman prophet who just doesn't like Jews. He's speaking, thus says Jehovah. Over the years, I read books about anti-Semitism in the Gospels, you know, when I was a Christian. And a lot of those books pointed out, look at all this harsh language that Jesus uses toward the Jews. Look at the harsh language that Isaiah spoke to the children of Israel. Goodness, man, come on. Go to Amos. The prophet Amos, chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Yorvam, king of Israel, saying, Amos, he's ratting him out here, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus says Amos, Yoravam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away into exile out of their own land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O you seer, go, flee you away into the land of Judah, and there eat your bread and prophesy there. Don't prophesy again anymore in Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It's a royal house. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I'm no prophet. Neither am I a prophet's son. I was a herdman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And Jehovah took me as I followed the flock. And Jehovah said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of Jehovah. You say don't prophesy against Israel and don't preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says Jehovah, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by line, and you shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile out of his land. How do you think that was received? Amos is told, you, don't prophesy here. Take that, you go to Judah. Don't come up here with that. And he said, let me get something straight. I was taking care of trees. I was watching a flock. And Jehovah told me to say this. See, Amos has this down. He says, look, if a, if a lion roars in the forest, will there not be fear? I mean, this idea, he's told to prophesy. He can't do anything but prophesy. It's not like he raised his hand for this. Israel, Jacob, 
is the servant nation and the prophets are the servant within the servant. They are called to correct. They are called to cause to return. Their job is to cause Israel to return to the Torah. But their message is not accepted. Now, let me ask you this. If a person looks at Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, and they see Moses or Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Jesus of Nazareth, the question is, are they wrong? Perhaps a better question is, what prophet didn't fit this mold in some way. Their deaths, it's like the blood of the slain prophets cries out, how long? They bear the message and the burden of Jehovah. He sent this message day by day. In fact, the Hebrew even says that the prophets rose early in their obedience to deliver this message. They were told to confront the sin and to confront the people of their day. And they they had no choice in it. These are the servants of Jehovah. Servants who are rejected and despised and many of which are killed. But they'll be exalted in that day. They shut the mouths of kings even when they were alive. But imagine the surprise when it's revealed that the special group of servants is none other than that despised group that was so hated from ancient times. Who are these servants of Jehovah, these prophets, these messengers? We are going to work through the servants of Jehovah person by person and discuss some of the greatest things about each of these people, some of their great teachings and words. But for that, you join me next week. And until then, Shabbat Shalom, Shavua Tov. If you want to join us tomorrow for the meeting and you don't have the sign-on, uh, email me, Nichols at me.com. Shabbat Shalom.